0: Hello and welcome to The Leaderverse with your hosts, Drew Lee, Lucas Sheradin, and me, Jesse Button. When I think about running a marathon, it seems to be soaked in philosophical lessons and growth stories. And so we ask Coach Drew, we've been so encouraged and inspired by his marathon journey, we got to ask him all about it today. It's so good because it inspires us to unlock that true leader inside all of us and realize or actualize what's possible. What's really possible is always more than we think. All that today and more on the Leaderverse. So,
1: Mister Drew, I understand you just did something that I don't understand why any human being would want to do. So, I'd like to understand this, and I think that there's a lot of leadership lessons we could extrapolate. You just did the Chicago Marathon, so congratulations on doing that. <laughs> did you, by the way, did you win the race?
2: You know what? I I I believe that no one could re- look it up. I don't know. Th- I don't know if there's a way. I've I've, I've attempted to. Um, so, I don't think you could you can find this to be. Uh, not true. Uh, I came in ninth. Now, if you can disprove that fact, uh, Jesse's way too excited because because your challenge is disprove it.
0: Oh. Okay.
2: <laughs> actually, it was what, actually. What I actually I should... think is I was 20, I was, uh, I think I was 29,000. So there was a nine there somewhere of the, of the 49,000. Know, if you're
1: going to use that logic, there was also a two there. So you should have said you came in second. And so no, you can,
2: you can actually validate that the top five runners are, you know, <laughs> okay. their, their results are posted, but I don't think you can find anywhere that says who came in ninth. you know,
1: got it. So Drew, can I ask you this question as a leader? Why is it, and I'm going to go right for the on this. Why is sure. it really important? For us as leaders to do hard things, sometimes outside of the realm of leadership, just why is it why is it really important for you to do something like a Chicago Marathon where your livelihood doesn't depend on it, yeah. yet it's very hard. You have to prepare for it. It's it's not an easy thing. I mean, I I breathe hard when I drive twenty six miles, so I can't mm-hmm. imagine running twenty six miles. Why do you think that that's hard? because I'm seeing more and more leaders do things like that.
2: Yes. What I think is about an important, and it's, it's a couple, there are a couple answers there. The reason I think it's so important is as you, as you grow your leadership journey, you know, you're going to grow what they call the, the law of the lid, which John Maxwell termed as, you know, what's, what's your level of leadership and how are you raising that, or how are you raising that lid? Uh, as you raise your leadership lid, or leader and as you become more accomplished and as you grow businesses and as you develop people Uh, when you solve problems for other people, you tend to be rewarded for it. And especially you get rewarded for it financially. And if you're growing a great business, if you're leading others well, then I would expect that there's probably uh, your financial assets, net worth um, is growing, which means your life is probably becoming more comfortable. When it's all said and done. You can afford the finer things in life. As they say, you can get the plush couch, you can get the big TV, you can buy the bigger house, you, you, you can have the material things. And what ends up happening is your life becomes more comfortable. And, you know, our minds are pre-designed to seek comfort. They want us, you know, our, our, our internal working mechanisms are designed to keep us alive And the way they keep us alive is, well, we just seek comfort, right? Maslow's hierarchy of needs said the first thing you seek is safety. How do you seek safety? You seek it in shelter. So like from day one to keep us alive, our instinctual sense says, go get shelter. All right, now that you've got shelter, hey, take care of your physical needs. You get water, get food. Now start focusing on your relationships, build a tribe around you, build relationships, network and then seek further and further comfort until ultimately, as Maslow said, you seek that self-actualization. whether that be spiritual enlightenment, your relationship with with your your spiritual beliefs, your your version, um, whatever that would be. It's what's that journey look like. So being pre-designed to seek comfort kind of makes us pansies. <laughs> and and if we don't do things that create almost like artificial discomfort or self-created discomfort then when real stress, real challenges, real adversity hits how as a human being are you going to deal with it? And 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 it's sad to see but you know we're one of the most developed countries on the planet with the highest anti-anxiety depression medication uh the most prescribed country in the developed world at the same time and why is that so and i'm not saying there's a conclusion but it seems pretty interesting that we can be the most comfortable place in the world and the most developed country and the wealthiest and the most abundant country in the world and at the same time we're unhappy and is it because we can't manage real stress when it happens. So
1: basically what you're saying, you just said in the last nine minutes is we're pansies and we need to get ourselves out of being pansies.
2: <laughs> uh, you know, that sounds, yeah, that sounds about right. See, see you summarize <laughs> it way better. Why do you run <laughs> marathons? Cause y'all are pansies and I'm, you know, I don't want to be a pansy. But
1: yeah, I, I, Drew, I think this is huge. There, there's a book that I, I just, I'm about to finish reading by Michael Easter called the comfort crisis. And I'd recommend everybody read, read the book. And his, he's done a lot of research on the fact that, like, it's where we came up with the term first world probs. Yes. Is I mean, we even like,
2: joke about it, right?
1: That's right. It's like our problems yeah. aren't a tiger's going to kill us. Our problems aren't that we don't have enough food for the next meal. Yes. Our problems are my iPhone is acting up today, or I cracked a windshield as I was driving my new luxury car to the office. It's yeah. right. It's first world probs. And I, I think what you you and a group of leaders that i know do is you find like he calls it a misogi yes A, a japanese misogi and jesse eisler's big on this michael eastern's where i think like i'm reading online right now that um, one one example is somebody carried an 85 pound rock 3.1 miles underwater and there's two rules rules to a misogi is one there's a real good chance you're not going to be able to complete it and number two you won't yeah. die from it right yeah
2: yeah don't die yeah and it's and it's choosing something that you have a call it a 50 50 chance of completing yeah you know and even even running marathons it's like okay so how do you make that a masogi if you've done one before well this is my third marathon this is my second marathon with one to go in six weeks my body's never been through anything like that so there's a 50 50 chance at least that you know hey can i run them all can i complete them all um but what, what you what you notice is you start building your own internal resume of, hey, I've done this. Mm, that's so good. And when something when you encounter you know a financial crisis or a relationship issue or a family issue or a health issue, it's kind of like,, eh, okay, look, I, I've dealt with worse. I mean everyone that's listening to this call, you've survived 100% of your toughest, most difficult days. We don't tend to recount those if, if our comfort zone's not expanding, it's contracting by default. So little things all of a sudden become bigger things. And I think one of the reasons a lot of leaders do that is you watch the military, for example. The military, how do they train? Yeah. You know, especially the 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 military ground forces, special forces, they don't train in a classroom. They train with like Machine gun fire overhead, bombs going off in the background, climbing underneath bob wire, jumping out of helicopters into frigid water, swimming miles in the ocean, all designed to not only test their will, but it's designed to put them in the most insane level of stress. And, you know, they even test. You know many of our special forces and they find like the cortisol level in these individuals based on stress, it's just it's it's through the roof, which is why many of them have health challenges later in life because they're living in this hyper elevated, stressful environment all the time, and most of it's artificially created. But then when they go to a real combat zone situation, this is just normal. It's a Tuesday. You know, I'm used to hearing bombs go off in the background and hearing machine gun fire and seeing all of this. It, it, this is not this is not abnormal. Well, we're, we're not living in that environment. We have cushy offices. I can turn my I can walk outside my office right now and turn the air conditioner down or or I can turn the heat up. I can make myself comfortable really, really fast. I can grab a cozy blanket, get me a nice little you know cup of tea. So when something actually happens, what's your ability to manage it? Well. How do you keep yourself in some elevated level of stress just by doing hard things?
1: I love that. And and Michael Easter would recommend that once a year, we plan something like an Everest. We plan something like a, a marathon if you haven't run it. Just once a year. It's not like you have to go out and be a psycho every month. But sure. I mean, he actually got a formula for how we we plan that in. So so when you cross the finish line, what what is that that experience like for those of us who? Jesse and I, Jesse was casinoing this weekend and I was very intentionally being calling it
0: winning, Lucas. Oh, call that's it right. winning.
1: The, the winning, yes. That's that you actually did. <laughs> and so and and for me, just doing a whole lot of nothing. What does it feel like so we can live vicariously? You you cross the finish line. Is it euphoria? Is it like, oh gosh, oh that got that or this sucks, or my body hurts, my toenails are falling. What what is it like when you cross the finish line, those moments?
2: It's a, it's a very emotional, uh, it's a wave of emotion. It, it, it's, it's, I, I jokingly say it's enough to make a grown man cry. Cause I do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you look li- like you literally are so emotional. You cry when you, you
2: the- it's, it's such uh, an emotional experience, um, that can, it, and it's not all positive, um, because you know, you set goals And, and when I, when I first, when I ran my very first marathon, uh, which, so I'm 48 years old and 11 days shy of my 48th birthday. So in April of last year, um, it was a goal to run a marathon one time, do it, put on the bucket list, can say I've done it. 1% of human beings run a marathon in their lifetime. I just wanted to be in that 1% and say, yeah, well, I did that too. And the whole goal was just not die, <laughs> finish and not, and not die. That you, was a Masogi. You, you didn't die, did you? Because this, this conversation would be really creepy if well, you did. Well, it's close to Halloween. So, I mean, you <laughs> know. Can I
0: ask y'all to define, to <laughs> redefine Masogi for me real quick? Like, basically, I think I have an understanding of it. It's so yeah, far, I, it's got to be like, I you have a 50% chance of failing. It has to be sure. extremely difficult. And what else?
2: Well, those yeah. are the rules around Misogi. Misogi is a Japanese tradition of cleansing. If you look at Misogi online, you're going to see a lot of people uh, in fountains, in water, in pools, underneath waterfalls. It's a cleansing ritual is is a, the historic side behind it. And where it's changed in more recent years, it's the defining thing. So it's like, okay, how do you cleanse yourself? Well, one way is you know, you can wash yourself clean mentally or spiritually. Another way you can wash yourself clean mentally and spiritually or physically is to do something that you survive and that really put you and tested your limits. It puts you to the test. So a Masogi is like, what's that one defining thing that when you reflect back on 2023, you say, I remember 2023 so clearly because blank. You know, in 2020, we all experienced in some ways a Masogi. It just wasn't on our own terms. We're here. We're still here. And we all went through a very defining, challenging time. Well, a Masogi is going to be way better when you put it on your own terms. How do you define 2022? How do you define 2023? 2023 was the year, you know, hey, we started a
0: podcast right? Right. Yes.
2: I
1: know there's a group from, from Bill Tao that just did 12 hour walks where Colin O'Brady wrote the book, the 12 hour walk. And that's a Musogi for some that they literally left the house at 12 o'clock with no electronics. I I guess you could take your cell phone on airplane mode. So you could take pictures and journal, Mm -hmm. but really no, no ear pods, nothing, just you. And it's interesting as I'm reading people's Musogi of the 12 hour walk, um that they all had similar journeys like it was like the first couple hours okay why am I doing this the next couple hours this really is stupid this sucks this is bad that they that that several of them say like there's a point like four hours five hours six hours in with such clarity that just hits them because Mm -hmm. their mind is they've just cleared the mechanism and you know, some people physically can't like literally walk the 12 hours. So it's like walk, sit, walk, sit. Uh, I think Colin's grandmother did the 12 hour walk and she literally walks around the block, sits on her front porch, walks around mm-hmm. the block, again, sits on her front porch. Oh. But regardless of what it is, it's like people will remember that experience as what Drew just aptly said is like, that was the experience of 2023. It was like, I did something so far outside of my routine that it just i think what happens drew I, i've just got a lot of curiosity especially like when i saw you doing the marathon and several of our friends mm-hmm. and i've toyed with that idea or toyed with what what's my masogi going to be and, and what have you is it a 12-hour walk is it uh, people are doing this 29 or 29 whatever
2: where they're climbing, uh, yeah 29 29 yeah,
1: yeah. Where, where they're climbing a mountain and then they ride a gondola down and then they climb it again equivalent to the ascension of, of everest and And Mm -hmm. so I was like all these different things. It's like, I've got a curiosity of just the shock value, the pattern interrupt that it does to the brain. Yes. Because I I love what you're saying because it's like, I proved to myself I could do hard things. Awesome.
2: Great. We we don't sit in our thoughts anymore. We distract ourselves from them. That's exactly right. So we we pick up our cell phone, we play Mm -hmm. games, we get on social media you know, we we are we are really now good at distracting ourselves from ourself from our own thoughts,
1: and we're yeah. never really. I I one of the things yeah. I'm thinking about like next year is really leaning into being present. Like I I have th- this is just honest. I I work on this, but this is honest confessions of a spastic mind uh, leader is I'll get on calls that I need to be paying attention to and I'm playing games on my phone or even worse. I have in the past when I was coaching people, found myself like this is the same call that I've had 12 previous times and I'm doing other things while somebody thinks I'm engaged with them. What are you
0: distracting yourself from?
1: Myself. I'm sure it's, it's, it, but it's like, it's, I've, I had it aha probably three years ago. I am really never present that 10 minutes in, I'm not present. And I'm going to guess, Jew, that like a marathon, you're very, I mean, your mind may be going all over the place, but you're actually, it does. You're present to the fact that one step, one step, one step, run, run, run. Or if you do a run walk or whatever. That I think that one of the advantages of that is presence. I, I I think like crisis is a really good for presence because like if somebody puts a gun to your head and says, give me all your money. Well, I'm completely present. That crisis causes me to get present. Yes. I don't want that crisis to make me present. I want to choose to be present.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like priorities. You know, many say they struggle with priorities. They struggle with time block and they struggle with scheduling. And I've witnessed for, you know, as long as I've been in this profession, 10 plus 12 years. Um, 14 years this year, I should say, um, let something happen to one of your kids. Let something happen to your health. Let something happen to someone that you love. And in an instant, you're a master of priorities Mm -hmm. and you can reevaluate things on a dime, a less serious yet equally. Uh, it's the same skill set, but a less serious issue is like the day before you go on vacation. Anybody ever noticed just like how ultra incredibly efficient you are all the way up until you board the damn plane. Like you can be wrapping up. You're like Bruce almighty replying to a thousand emails at hyper speed. Your keyboard's <laughs> smoking. You got a call going, you know, you're doing laundry, you're folding it. You're packing.
0: You're it's, usually it's, getting new business too, because you tell everybody, well, yeah, you want to get a new business, amazing. plan a vacation.
2: Of course, it's just amazing what happens, but instantly when we're laser focused and tuned in how much we're capable of getting done and in order to avoid the thought process in order to avoid our thinking in order to be uncomfortable or in order to, uh, to seek more comfort, we tend to avoid our own thoughts. We tend to avoid challenging things. Um, and we just go on. I mean, there's a reason it's called average. It's what majority does.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the majority of people won't put themselves in situations or environments. There's a, there's a, there's a quote that says the quality of your life is in direct proportion, to the amount of uncertainty you can comfortably deal with.
1: Mm, that's good.
2: Say that again. The quality of your life is in direct proportion to the amount of uncertainty you can comfortably deal with. With So, Putting yourself in those environments where you are uncomfortable, you are uncertain. It stretches your comfort zone. It's kind of like a slinky. If you keep stretching it, it's not going to, you know, return to its original size. It's like a mind expanded won't not contract, to, and it won't go back in the box you put it in. If anyone's ever had a slinky, it's like, especially as a kid, there was nothing worse than you know when you stretch the darn thing out because it just never go back. You, you could twist it, you could turn it, you could pull it, you could get that little piece and you could try and bend it back in. But once it was expanded, it wouldn't go back in the same box. It wouldn't fit anymore. Our, our, our comfort zone and what we do pushes been, the envelope of that.
1: I've been thinking of actually this morning and as I was reflecting and journaling, I was actually thinking about this topic, which is kind of kind of cool that you break it up because it's like, I think that there's a part of us that we have a love-hate relationship with uncertainty, that when you have a high level of certainty, boredom kicks in, and yet you feel like there's a secure paycheck coming in, there's a secure W-2 income, there's a secure whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that we get comforted that, but when we go out to greatness, all of a sudden, like the boundaries are gone. And now the world is not as safe, but it's also very unlimited. We're like, like if you're a W two employee or W two leader, you're you have an illusion of security because you've got a constant stream of income, yeah, yeah. but you have boundaries and and there's very limited possibilities. When you strike out and you start creating things, like it's a little unnerving because it's unlimited. And by the way, there is no. I, I did a built out a podcast yesterday with the gal who, you know, going along just fine and then gets furloughed from the on the military I, I, for like three or four months, no paychecks. Well, somebody that doesn't know her and her family made that decision. She said, I need to go to real estate where I determine what I get paid. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've been thinking about that. What is it almost a juxtaposition of certainty and limitations and uncertainty and unlimited possibilities. And I'd rather yeah. live in the world of unlimited possibilities, which means I need to make peace with uncertainty.
0: I'll tell you or chase exactly it. how it, exactly how it feels. Um, I've, I don't have a job right now and I'm I'm used to having a a job job my whole life, right? So this is a very different experience and it feels um it feels untethered is the word I use because all of the freedom in the world, all the talent in the world, I just need to decide which avenue I want to go down first. That's mm. extreme uncertainty and it is a terrifying feeling but it's equal in its freedom and its possibility. So it's a yeah. It's a really, really cool place to be mentioning that twelve hour walk. I think you you accidentally just prescribed that to me, I think, okay. And I'll do it. I'll do it. I'd love for somebody else to do it with me, but I'll do it alone. I have to,
1: yeah, I think a whole group for the Built Out conference they just did it this last weekend. I think this weekend was the weekend cool. where a group of them did that. but here here, I just know for me, drew and and Jesse, is like being alone with my thoughts. It doesn't sound terrifying until you start doing it. And then it's like, Oh my gosh, can I, huh. am I going to be okay with just me? And, and I, it's <laughs> so bad <laughs> a couple of years ago, trading in my iPhone and for whatever reason, the Verizon sort of said, okay, well, we'll transfer everything. And I thought, well, it's just on the cloud. So you give me my new phone. And I go, they said, no, you have to leave it for a couple hours. Like, okay. So I walked out to my car. I'm like, what am I going to do already? for a couple of hours where I just, have to ha- I don't want to go home, but wow. how do I waste time without my phone. I went to Walmart. It was that bad. I went to Walmart to waste time. <laughs> I hate going to the store.
2: There's a, there's a book behind me called, you know, the road less stupid and the entire premise of the book is about thinking and thinking time. And you know, how much time do you just allow yourself to spend in your thoughts? And You know, for some of us, the biggest crisis or first world problem is if we go for a run, we go for a walk, our earbuds stop working, you know, or our battery dies or, you know, they get disconnected. You can't connect them. It's like, what am I going to do? Well, you're actually already doing it. You're walking, you're running, you know, now they've, now they've even got, I mean, there, there was an escape. You could at least go swimming. Well, now they got earbuds that are waterproof and that you can take swimming. You know, it's it's getting harder and harder for humans to say, All right, what do I have to do to get out of reception? What do I have to do where these things don't work? Well, you can, unless I'm a check, they, they fit in a drawer. Leave them at home. What other lessons do you think you learned from the marathon
1: that would translate to our leadership journeys?
2: that that how you uh, there are a few uh specifically how you prepare is how you'll perform.
1: Mm, that's really good.
2: What what you prepare just, for is going to be how you ultimately perform.
1: Did you follow like a specific plan to prepare for the marathon?
2: I did. Well, I, and I followed it. Did I follow it exactly? No. Would I've gotten re- better results had I most likely? Because, you know, if you if you want to succeed, there are two schools of thought. There's the rebel out there listening that says i didn't do any of this i did it my right. way and that's why i'm successful i didn't follow anybody's plan i didn't role model anybody else and and i would still challenge that person that said i imagine you read i imagine you watched something you probably had mentors did you really trailblaze because unless you invented something that doesn't exist you've you followed a path that somebody else has most likely done hmm. so I've heard people say, Well, I didn't do any of that stuff. Did you read? Did you listen to a podcast? You did something that raised your knowledge, your skill set, or or you changed or you improved your activities. So there was a plan to follow. And the plan is based on, hey, other people have ran marathons too. And other people, I mean, the world record, I'm I'm now honored to say mm-hmm. maybe, maybe I will be in the world record books. You know, this this is possible. I might end up being in the world record books for the most awkward world record in running the guy who just happened to be there when world records were broken <laughs> <laughs> because the, my last three marathons a world record has been broken so I've, I've got to look that up on guinness who who has been you know who has ran a marathon with the most world records broken at the same time because that, that might be one i could win but that's one is is how you prepare is how you perform you you can follow a plan And you can create one or you can follow one, following one from somebody that has done it, knows how to do it will help get you there. I've also, I've always had coaches. I'm a coach. I I can't imagine not having one. I had two for this running journey that started a little over a year ago. I've had two coaches guiding me through this process. One that works with me physically. And I mean, like adjusting my body, moving, stretching, um, her name's Lynn, amazing lady, Lynn Varent uh, in, in the Pensacola area. Uh, she has been my coach since I, I walked into her office and says, hey, by the way, I was looking up a running coach, found you. I love that you're a physical therapist as well. I'm 48 years old and I've never ran before longer than four miles. I want to run a marathon. Let's go. And and she looked at me probably like, all right, here's, here's a crazy person. Someone call security. <laughs> and, and then, you know, now I just finished my fifth. Um, full marathon. So I worked with Len. I worked with uh, Chad Himes. Uh, he really helped me with my mind and the strategy. So I've got somebody helping me physically. and I've got someone helping me strategically. And then with this, with not only strategically, but also just with mindset on how you think and how you're approaching these things and what you need to be doing moving forward. So that's a big one is how you're going to prepare is how you're going to perform. Um, another one is you have to learn what worked and what didn't and we're especially if you're listening to this and you're a high achiever we're you're a skill you're a ninja you're a master at probably hyper criticism mm-hmm. being yeah. really critical of nothing went well everything sucks I need to fire everyone I need to blow it all up start all over again you know if you're if you think is you probably said these words, yeah, Go back to the drawing board. No, you never do that. You figure out what worked. What do we want to keep? Oh, no good. What went well? Then what were the unexpecteds? Not just a, what do you want to change? What do you want to do differently? Is what were the unexpected? Didn't expect that. Didn't expect that. Because when things happen to you, especially... Over a four to five hour period, you, you can't predict how your body, especially your health, you can't predict how it's going to perform. You can train for it, but you cannot predict how it's going to perform at that moment in time. Your body's going to do what it's going to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, And you talk to endurance athletes, they'll tell you stories of how their body locked up their foot locked up. They got a cramp. All of a sudden this body part just stopped working. Um, you know, one of our partners last year, um, he, he shared a story. You can find his blog online. And he said, you know, he hadn't consumed sugar for two years. And then for whatever reason at a, at a refill station, he drank Gatorade two miles later, he was projectile vomiting as his body said, what poison did you just put inside of me? Yeah. You, you're not going to prepare for that but you'll have to figure out how to overcome it when it happens. I love
1: that. Well, because I I just think that like, there's an old, old, um, we learned it in a course called bold, but how you participate in here is how you participate everywhere. I Mm -hmm. think like your marathon is I'm watching your journey and I'm, I, I feel like I'm a part of you, Drew. So I ran a marathon this weekend as well too. know.
0: I'm so tired. Thank you. Are you guys sore
1: too? My, my feet, yeah. my feet are, in fact, I think I have a toenail falling off re, even right now as we, we, as we <laughs> speak. So it's called leverage, Drew. It's like together everyone achieves more. So just, Jesse and I just achieved a marathon. It's,
0: it's also empathetic leadership. I'm feeling <laughs> so the things. pain's over here. But
1: <laughs> I, think that, I think that like I'm learning that how I show up at home is how I show up at work. How I show up in the gym is how I show up at, in coaching, how I show up how i show up anywhere is how i show up everywhere how i show up to a monday leadership call is how i show up everywhere and it's like that's where it's like been in my my face is like okay next year you're going to lean into one thing how do you maximize a moment and be completely present with another human being and i we we work you know uh, all of us uh, have either currently work or have worked with ben kenny one mm-hmm. of the things that I think that's amazing that Ben is really good at when he's good at it. Then there are other times when he's doing his, you know, the Ben Kenny thing, but when he's talking to somebody and he's really locked in, I, I don't know that I've met a leader that's more present with another human being. Now there are other moments I've talked to him and he's doing a thousand things at the same time. And so he has those moments, but when he's like really locked into you as a human being, I have never met anybody who's more present with another person. And and, and I've worked with some cool leaders Yeah, And I aspire to be that way. It's like yesterday I went to lunch with a struggling business leader who saw a social media post that I had in the leader, actually saw it in the leaderverse and said, man, that rocked my world. I need to talk to you. So we went to lunch for an hour, hour and a half. And I'm like, you know what, for this next hour, my phone's going to stay in my car. I've got to, you know, silence things So my watch isn't telling me that I have a, a text message and I'm going to do everything I can to really understand what he is saying to me. The amazing thing about that yeah. was, I walked away more energized after that yeah. lunch than it was like presence actually energizes us. And so, what I'm, i have saying all that to a lot of words to say that I think that one of the lessons as I watch your journey, Drew, and as I leverage my physical well being through your, uh, your, your body. Thank you for paying the price for me. Is like, it's how you show up there, buddy. Is how you show up everywhere, and that's just it. Gives me an excuse to to mm. do that. You know what I mean? It gives me an excuse of saying, wow, I did it here and I can be present there. And, and I think that's, I think that's super, super powerful for, I think a lot of leaders do marathons or do ultra you know, marathon, you know, triathlons and they do a lot of things where they push the body to extreme limits mm. because how they show up there is a safe place to prove to themselves is how they want to show up everywhere.
2: I think that's a big piece of it. Locus is, is the, is the pushing yourself, um, a, a lot of us have found ourselves where we are because we've been the underdog many times in our life. Mm-hmm. And, and when you've been an underdog and you come out, sometimes you miss being an underdog. Yeah. Like there's, there's a lot of advantages that come with being the underdog playing the underdog role. And, you know, you, you get, you almost get uncomfortable not being the underdog. It's like, I'm, you know, I'm used to being the guy, you know, most of my career that was like, let me in the door. I want in the door. Let me, you know, putting your foot in as being slammed on you or in your face. And then it's a the weird experience when all of a sudden you start walking towards a door you expect to be slammed and it's sprung open wide. Please come in. And it's a it's kind of a surreal experience. Like, Wait a minute. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to fight and claw for everything. Now you're inviting me in. Ooh, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> I I want to prove that. I want to go back and prove that I deserve to be here. It's often called, you know, imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. A lot of us have it. Well, it's not always a bad thing. Often, I think it's a really good thing. It's fuel when, when you've got that chip on your shoulder and you've got something to prove. Sometimes my biggest fear, besides that, my kids will grow up and they'll be weenies and they won't know how to deal with resilience or they'll be, they'll be spoiled jerks. That's my, that's my number one. My number two is what happens if that chip falls off my shoulder or the imposter syndrome goes away and, and I become comfortable not pushing my boundaries or exploring the unexplored or doing the hard things, then What? So I wrote these down over the last really over those this last year, and, and they're 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 subject to change. I'm sure I'm gonna change them after after every time, but I, I'm gonna just say, um my my ultimate goal has been to run a marathon. And in every race, I put down 430. I'm gonna run a race in 430 because they ask you when you enter a marathon and say, What is your uh, what do you think is your time? And the reason they do that is they're attempting to put you with other people as fast or as slow as you are. And the two things that I've learned from that is um, that, it, that it, apparently it's not considered lying. It's just, it's really enthusiastic stretching the truth that almost everyone seems to do. I, I'm like the honest person.
0: Manifesting, manifesting. Jamie yes, yesterday.
2: yes, <laughs> yes. So, you know, I, I I look at people and I'm like,
0: how'd you get in a,
2: you know, what they call corrals, which is where they put, you know, they corral the people and they put them, the fast people, the fast people, slow people, the slow people. I'm like, what do you run? I run like 11 minute miles. How are you starting like three gates ahead of me? Well, cause I told them I run an eight minute mile. Oh my gosh. And then you find that there's a lot of people do this. So I keep finding myself in, in, in the back. Um, and so I've, I've had this target though, of I've said four thirty to five, four 30 to five hours. And my first marathon was exceeded five hours. My second marathon was five hours, and like 28 minutes. My third marathon was five hours and 18 minutes. So I've had this like five hour roadblock, both mentally and physically this whole time. And I think one of the hardest things about running a marathon or something that's going to require four or five, 10, or even this 12 hour walk is you don't start getting close to the finish line or even thinking about having a best or setting a record until you've been doing it 90% complete. You can't think about pring a marathon on mile one. You, You don't really even get to start thinking about it until you're on mile 18 to 20. And then you see if you're even close towards your best time. So every time the goal became get better and ultimately can I hit a, a four hour and 30 minute window. So I'm going to call this building resilience in five hours. So lesson number one, you've got to celebrate every success, small and and big. When you're training and you're preparing for something like this, you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. If you're in business and part of your job is to go find business or, or call it lead generation or follow up, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. That's The same thing happens in your health journey. You've probably had this experience. You walk into a gym or you go for a jog and everything feels heavy. It feels tight. It feels heavy. You feel lethargic. You don't know why you had a good night's sleep. You just every nothing about your physical presence wants to be there. So, you, you know, you slog through. Uh, I live in Florida, so sometimes, you know, it's 110 degrees. I don't run well in the heat. So. I, I can't make it through a 5K, which is 3. You know, one mile. It's like, I, I can't do it. I had to walk, run three miles. You know how disheartening that is and discouraging it is that you can't run three miles when you're preparing for 26? So you've got to celebrate the small wins because you're going to have small losses too. Every single win. Hey, I ran today. Did I run the whole way? No, I stopped and I couldn't finish three miles. But I, I ran today. I got three miles in. My goal is X amount this week. So learn to celebrate the small and the big wins. Same as business, same in relationships. Go on date nights. Do things that would celebrate small wins for you. Number two, we can always do more than we think is possible. It's like if you've ever worked out with a trainer and they ask you to do one more rep, one more set, one more push-up, one more sit-up. Instead of quitting, go two extra steps or letting yourself off. We are always capable of doing more than we think is possible. Number three, embrace obstacles and learn to watch for them next time. And I wrote that down from London because I, I, in every previous race I'd had, Um, there are always different obstacles. It might be running. It might be audience. I mean, you got, you got spectators that are sometimes they have bikes or they have their babies in strollers. And for whatever crazy reason, they decided to, you know, 50,000 people are running this direction and they're going to take their infant child in their stroller and they're going to cross 50,000 people running at once. You know, I I don't know if maybe they have thrill issues and they're like, you know what, I don't want to go run with the bulls in Pantaloma, but I'll just run cross, you know, crossways with the people in Chicago. They're going to be obstacles. Do you learn from them? Do you learn to watch for them next time? Number four is one that we, I don't think we do very much. I've just learned to do it in this process is learn to listen and more importantly, learn how to talk back to yourself. We're really good at listening to that inner dialogue, the, the one that's up here that talks to us and and often says, you can't do it. You shouldn't do it. Why are we here? Let's just go home. Hey, look, there's a coffee shop. Go over there. You know what? I know we got an Uber app on our phone. You could probably call somebody. They could stop. Nobody would ever know. Get in the car. Just go to the end. You still get the metal. You got all of this gobbledygook going on in your head. Mm. But do you talk back? Like the movie Castaway, I reference a lot because I think it's such a great external representation of he took a volleyball that he named Wilson and all he did is he talked back to his internal dialogue. If you ever watch the movie again, you'll realize he's just having a conversation with his internal dialogue and he's using Wilson to represent an external vantage point or bring it to life. Well, why not do the same thing? So, yes, if you ever run with me, you ever see me, you're going to see this kind of like weird, crazy person talking to themselves. Yeah, we can. No, no. Yeah, yeah, we can. We can keep going. Well, we did it before. Uh, Yeah, yes, I know. I saw the coffee shop, too. Okay, I'm sure they do have Twix bars there. And I'm you know what? I'm kind of I am kind of hungry. You bring up a great point, but we're going to keep going now. That's what we're going to do. Yes. So talk to yourself. It's okay. You're not going to see these people again anyway. Lesson number five, I borrowed this one from Chris Suarez. I thought it was so perfect. I wish I had written it first. When it's time to perform, it's too late to practice. Mm. Oof, so good. You're, you're not going to, hey, if I haven't adequately trained for this thing, now let me go run five miles the day before and that'll get me in condition. It's too late. So when it's time to perform, it's too late to practice. You, it's, it's game on. Mm. Lesson number six, surround yourself with encouragement only. This isn't the first time I've said what fascinates me, I love and adore and I want to replicate in every area of my life is there is only encouragement at these events. Every single person there from the watchers, the spectators, to the volunteers, the runners themselves, we want each other to win. It is such a, a, a an energy. It's like a ball of energy in the city of Chicago, New York, Berlin, London. And that moment in time, that one snapshot, that five hours, it's like five hours of 100% ongoing nonstop encouragement. It's it, That is an addictive thing once you've experienced it. Lesson number seven, don't expect different results until you have put in a different level of effort. When I ran New York City, I ended with a time of five hours and 24 minutes. I think it was five hours, 28 minutes. When I ended London, it was five hours and 18 minutes. And I remember my coach saying, did you expect something different? I was like, yes, I expected to be five hours. He said, look at your training plan. You didn't earn it. You didn't earn a five hour window. You didn't earn a five hour stop. Look at your training plan. And I looked at my training plan and I said, I trained for a half marathon. And then I sure enough, I looked and I said, wow, did you see I had an amazing half marathon? Like my half marathon was amazing in London. Cool. Best ever. First time I had ran a half marathon or the distance of 13.1 without stopping. It was incredible. Then it fell off a cliff because of the second half. I wasn't trained to go the long distance.
0: That's incredible, but though. it matched the plan. That's fast. 100
2: percent. 100 percent. I was so proud of it and and I struggled and I agonized, and it was in the second half was really, really hard. About mile 14, my legs completely stopped working and and then I ended with five hours and 18 minutes. very, I mean, you know, it was very, very close to what had happened in uh, New York City. Number eight. Maybe the most important one for people to take, and it has nothing to do with running a marathon. Run your own race. It is so easy to compare yourself, to attempt to keep up with other people, to pay attention to someone else and how they're performing in the game of life, in business, in their health, with their relationships. You know, you get on social media and all you see is highlight reels. Well, that's not life. When you're in the thick of it, just run your race. Stop worrying about what other people are doing. The worst thing you can do, and I've done this in multiple races, is is attempting to keep up with somebody that you have no business keeping up with or even attempting to keep up with. So there's these things called pacers in every race. And a pacer is is like an an incredibly well-trained athlete that runs a lot. And they run a lot of marathons. This is somebody that a major race, a global race, trusts enough when they say I can run a marathon at 4.30 with my eyes closed, then they put that person in a position. They say, okay, great. If a person follows this pacer, you would run a marathon in 4.30 or three hours or two hours and 30 minutes. I mean, so these are incredibly experienced athletes. If you attempt to keep up with somebody and you have no business keeping up with them, you haven't prepared the way they have, you haven't done what they've done to get there, it'll burn you out, wear you out, tire you out, frustrate you, and and most likely might even lead you to quitting. And again, I want you to really hear, that has nothing to do with running a race. It's a metaphor for you attempting to keep up with someone who is doing a lot in life they're buying investments, they're building wealth, they happen to be 20 years older than you are and they're that much further along on the journey and you're attempting to keep up with them or keep up with the Joneses and your next door neighbor has a lot of shit because they've earned it and you're attempting to keep up and you haven't, it's going to burn you out.
0: The metaphor for authenticity and burnout too. One of being the most your, being tiring,
2: yourself. 100%. I'd say one of the most tiring experiences attempting to keep up with Pacers that I wasn't conditioned and I had no business being next to, but you give it your all. And then you end up exhausting yourself and and you suffer later for it. So run your race. Don't worry about anybody else. Number nine, set a goal, work towards the goal, regardless of the outcome, learn the lessons and repeat it. As I said, I've had this goal of five hours. I've really had this goal of four hours and 30 minutes. That was like my own version of Everest. How cool that would be. That would be my, that would, that would be so amazing if I could do that. I ran just below five hours. It was the first time I beat five hours in Berlin two weeks ago. I was so excited. Uh, It was, there were two big goals. I wanted to run 26.2 miles, not run, walk, not run most of it, or as far as I could, and then run, walk the rest of it. I had a goal of I wanted to run the entire thing to say I've ran a marathon. That was my big goal when this whole journey started. Number two was I wanted to beat five hours. In Berlin two weeks ago on September 24th, I was so excited to have done both because of these lessons and then applying them, what worked, what didn't, what do I need to change, what do I need to learn? So repeating that process. And then number 10, is have a compelling reason to keep going. I have a goal of what I want to do, which is complete the world six. That's for me. I'm doing this for charity. Every race that I've ran, I've raised money year to date. I think Shannon and I have personally donated uh, somewhere close to 10,000. I know we've raised probably close to 20 when it's all said and done. And and this is all for charities. So the time where I think of giving up, I also think of all the people who have supported this journey financially, that give their time, that actually pay attention and you know, will comment, or they look at the app and see where I am, and, and they, they might text me to a run. It, it just means the world to me that somebody else is acknowledging this journey and, and part of it, and that's, that's a big component of the compelling reason to keep going. So what do you learn from this experience? all of those things and more. And even at 48, the last part, it's kind of like the bonus number 11 is you start asking yourself, what else can I do?
0: I mean, wow, I could do this. What else can I do?
2: What else is possible? Could I do the 29029 or hell? Could I even climb the real Everest? What's possible?
0: So oh, good. There you go. So good. Drew's 10 leadership lessons from running marathons for us. Thank you.
1: Yes, that's right. We ran the marathon. Just let's be really clear. So me and Jesse, we, we did it in less than five hours. We're, we're, we are awesome. That's what partnership's about, buddy.
0: I should congratulate you then what I'm hearing in all of this then is I should, we should congratulate you drew for reaching that new level of hard, because this is your, this is your evolution.
2: This, well, just think about what it is for yourself. Congratulate me by just doing something for you that pushes yourself. Like that's, I mean, the greatest thing that could come out of this for me is somebody else saying, Hey, I did this for me. If, if you could do it at 48, then then what could I do at 38? What could I do at 58? What could I do if there are no limitations placed on me? And the reason I think at the end, when you say what's the experience like when you cross the finish line, it, it, it's it's every emotion under the sun from discouragement to pain to rejoice to enjoyment to satisfaction to uh to love to you name it, it, it hits you all at once. And this last marathon. With 800 meters to go, my wife calls me. She has my kids on three-way. My my twin boys are eight years old. My daughter's five, and I I have 800 meters, and I've got nothing left. I've I'm giving my my body is spent. I my Achilles is hurting. My knees hurting. Everything hurts. Um, I'm I'm just gassed. There's just there's just nothing left in the tank. I've burned all my reserves, and I'm really close. To breaking the four hour and 30 minute mark i'm so close i'm so on uh, you can't be any really any closer and my kids are yelling at me keep going daddy go daddy go they are got a chant, go daddy go daddy go i can't even answer them i'm so tired i'm like eh, 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 eh. you know and it sounds like a, you know like a struggling animal that's either being born or dying and that's all they were yelling is go daddy go my my one son who's so special <laughs> He just he he gets on the phone. He goes, "Hey, Daddy, just run faster."
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. He good. Uh huh. Yeah. Thanks. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> when I cross the finish line, I cross the finish line with four hours and twenty nine minutes and eighteen seconds.
0: Yeah, there you go. Yeah, buddy.
2: So, so forty two seconds is the difference between, you know achieving uh, uh, your own version or your own pinnacle of Everest or falling short. Love it. And then you ask yourself, gosh, well, if I could do that, what else can I do? So we'll see you in New York city. There you go.
0: Appreciate it, go. Man.
2: Thank you for your wisdom, buddy.
0: Thanks guys. Have a great day. Talk soon.
2: Appreciate y'all.